Our scripture reading you will find in the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and pe uh, preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So far the reading of God's holy word. I was asked to listen with you to the confession of Lord's Day 24. In the book of praise, page 538. 
question 62. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are, are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, by grace you have been saved. Oh yes, that as you know, that is the theme that resounds throughout the Bible. That is the heart of the gospel. That is the central thrust of Paul's preaching, saved by grace. We read together the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In that chapter, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul glories in the blessings which we have in Christ Jesus. He rejoices in God's electing love. He sings of the glory of God's grace. Listen again to his words. Says the Apostle, But God who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses. Did you hear? We were dead. Dead in our sins. Dead because we did not keep God's law. Dead because we hated that law. Dead because we were inclined to all evil. Dead because we loved ourselves and sacrificed everybody else to satisfy our own selfishness. Well, now, when we were so dead, God, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him, that is, with Christ. And God made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace... You have been saved. You hear it. It is all grace. It is all God's mercy to us in Christ Jesus. But that's not all. The apostle goes on to talk about faith. For by grace you have been saved 
through faith. And this, this faith, it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. Are those last words strike with tremendous force. Twice, in a matter of a couple of verses, twice Paul says, by grace you have been saved. And then, as if it were to make doubly sure that nobody missed a point, then he hammers home this thought. It is not your own doing. It is not of works. Your faith earns nothing. Your works earn nothing. It is all grace. It is all a gift of God. Well, now, that's how we must approach the confession of Lord's Day 24 also. Of course, somebody could now ask, why in the world is this Lord's Day in the Catechism? After all, does it not talk about the same thing as Lord's Day 23 had already confessed? Think of it. That Lord's Day, Lord's Day 23, says very clearly that God, without my deserving it at all, of sheer grace, saves me. It is not because of any value that my faith has that God is pleased with me, it says. Then it goes on to confess, only Christ's satisfaction and only Christ's righteousness and only Christ's holiness make me right with God. Well now, wasn't that saying, wasn't that confessing it in clear, unmistakable terms how it is we are saved? Oh, sure it was. But, about we are people. Sinful people. We need to have things spelled out for us from every angle, as it were. For the heart of man is subtle. Ah yes, it is deceitful, says the Bible. We like to think that we have a bit of credit with God. If nothing else, could not our faith be looked upon as providing some credit for us? In other words, could not our faith be looked upon as something which we contribute, as a good work which we can offer to God, exactly as the people who are not so reformed like to think? Well, now, that is the issue that is front and center in Lord the 24. I would like to listen with you to this confession, which tells us that salvation is not of works. I have three thoughts as follows. 
though those works be good works, though God will indeed reward those good works, and though such good works are necessary. Our works, our good works, cannot be our righteousness before God. Such is our confession. But that is a devastating confession, is it not? It means that we have nothing to boast in or to boast of. Period. Notice the catechism when talking about our works is limiting itself to talking only about our good works. It is not talking about anything else. It specifically asks, but why cannot our good works be our righteousness before God, or at least part of it? And good works, remember, Good works are those which arise from or are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for his glory. In other words, good works are indeed the fruit of faith. Our good works, it is the fruit that is born of and that is born by a life of love and sanctification. You could say, of our good works, it is our obedience to God. It is that we serve the Lord. It is that we sacrifice ourselves to the God of our salvation. That, you see, is what the Catechism is talking about here. We should notice also that the catechism limits itself to talking about those who are in Christ. Why can't the good we do make us right with God? Or why can our good works not be our righteousness before God? Clearly, the catechism means to concentrate on the works of those who are members of the body of Christ. In other words, it focuses on the works of those who are children of God by faith in Christ. Now, now, of the good works of such people, of the good works done by those who are children of God by grace through faith, Of those good works, we confess that they are not our righteousness before God. Salvation is not of works, not our love of God, not our obedience to God, not our submission to his will, not our work in his kingdom, not our work as office bearers in the church, not our best good works. Ah, yes, nothing we do or accomplish is or can be our righteousness before God. That is hard to take, is it not? 
We can't do a thing to help ourselves. If we have the gift of life in Christ, why then we have it by grace alone. And then we can only live by grace alone. And see, somehow, deep down inside of us, that goes against the grain, doesn't it? We don't really want to admit that we are helpless creatures when it comes to saving ourselves. We want to help ourselves, right? Not of works, says the Bible. But why not? Why doesn't our love, our obedience, our work in God's kingdom, why does that not, why can that not count toward our righteousness before God? Perhaps I should interrupt myself momentarily here to point out that the question is not, must a Christian do good works or can a Christian do good works? Lord's Day 32, as you may know, addresses that question when it asks, why then must we Christians still do good? The point here, however, is that our good works cannot be our righteousness before God. And that, you see, that leads to the question, why is that so? Well, says the Apostle Paul, that no man should glory, or that no man should boast. And see, with that word, with that answer, he strikes at the heart of the matter. Oh yes, as we will see, there are other reasons as well. But this this is the heart of the matter, lest anyone should boast. Remember it well. Our God is a jealous God. We hear that every Sunday morning when the law of the Lord is read, the law of the covenant, he claims all the honor and all the glory for himself. Not only is he alone our creator, but also he alone is our redeemer. Salvation is of God alone. It, de it depends not on man's will or exertion, writes Paul, but upon God's mercy. Think about it. What do we have of ourselves that we could possibly offer to God for our salvation? Oh yes, we talk about our faith. But remember, faith is accepting the promises of God. Faith is saying amen to what God promises us in his word. And that faith, that willingness 
to say amen to God's promises, that faith is itself a gift of God. Remember it well. It is God who gives the gift of faith. He it is who opens our hearts by his spirit, lest any man should boast. So we talk also about our works. But remember, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace through faith. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can't miss the point. Not only is God our creator, creating us for his own purpose and glory, you understand, but it is the Lord also who is our recreator. And again, for his own purpose and his own glory. You see, he by his word and spirit causes us to be born anew. Thereby, I ask, thereby enabling us to do good works unto his glory. And see, as soon as that has happened, as soon as you and I are born anew, why then this is the new reality of our life. We say with Paul, it is no longer I who live, Christ Jesus lives in me. And then it is also true that the life which we then live in the flesh, see that life is a life of faith. And the works we then do are works which Christ does in us and through us. After all, he is divine and we are the branches. Then you see it. We love him because he first loved us. In other words, he, by his love, moves us to love. So also, we do his will because it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And it's clear, all boasting is out of the question. But there is more. See, it surely is true that our good works cannot be our righteousness before God. But it is true also because God requires a perfect righteousness and a perfect holiness. Our confession underscores that. With the catechism, we confess that our righteousness, or that the righteousness, which can pass God's scrutiny, must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. You understand? Every thought, not just some of our thoughts, some of the time, 
And every word, not just our words of prayer or our expressions of concern, of comfort and compassion, and every deed, not just some good behavior here, some good works there, but every thought, all our words, and every deed, it must be altogether perfect. James, as you may know, minces no words. He says it clearly. Whoever keeps the whole law, but, ah, but fails in one point, has become accountable for, guilty of, all of it. So the catechism faithfully echoing the testimony of Scripture, would force us to test our works by the perfect law of the Lord. Think of your best works, it says in effect. Think of your best works, of your love and care for your neighbor, of your piety, of your prayers and gifts and offerings. Examine all of them in the light of God's word and you will be led to confess that your best works are still imperfect. That they cannot pass God's scrutiny. That they can therefore not be our, your righteousness before God. Rather, you will learn to confess with Isaiah, all our, all my righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So the bottom line of the first question and answer is clear. No one, no one can do anything, be it ever so little, for his or, or her own righteousness before God. To say or to teach otherwise is both to rob God of his honor and it is to elevate man to a position he cannot possibly occupy. By grace you have been saved, through faith, and, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. With that I move on to the second point. Not of works, though God will indeed reward those good works. When you read your Bible, you cannot miss it. This, the Bible speaks again and again about the reward that they will receive who labor in and for the kingdom of the Lord. You hear David affirming it in Psalm 19. In keeping them, the law, the ordinances of the law of the Lord. In keeping them, there is great reward. And when Christ finished teaching the Beatitudes, 
He spoke this word of encouragement. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. But later in that same sermon on the mount, Jesus tells the people who have been listening to him, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So also, the apostle affirms that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And the apostle John, in the book of Revelation, tells us that our works, our deeds, shall follow us to glory. So there can be no doubt about it. The Lord our God rewards our good works. Such is his promise, a promise that goes back all the way to paradise. Think of it. God effectively had said to Adam, Keep my word and you shall live. Some speak of that as the covenant of works which can and has led to serious misunderstanding, as though Adam in paradise had to earn or to achieve something. It is better, therefore, to speak of Adam's pre-fall relationship with the Lord as the covenant of God's favor. God favored Adam by placing him in a special, a favored relationship to him. A favored relationship which Adam could retain only by rendering obedience to his creator. In other words, Adam did not have to earn a thing. After all, God had granted him everything in the gift of life with him. His creator. However, Adam could lose everything by disobedience. Oh yes, it's true. Adam and we in him. Adam did not keep that covenant. Adam failed. He and we in him he transgressed the covenant. And so he lost everything. Yes, he lost the gift of life with the Lord. But remember it well. But that takes nothing away from the fact that the Lord had indeed spoken of a great reward already in paradise. A reward that would be received upon man's Obedience, namely, the right to eat of the tree of life. A right that has been restored to us by our Savior. See, that is why we rejoice that there is the second Adam. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And see, he it is who kept all the demands of God's law. That is why he is the righteous one, right? 
I ask, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the Lord's covenant with Adam. That is why he is the one who now also receives the reward promised by God to the first Adam. And see, this is the wonder of God's grace. All who are in Christ share that reward with Christ. Christ's obedience is now looked upon by our Father as our obedience. So his reward becomes our reward. When that is clear, why then you understand why it is the catechism confesses this reward is not earned. That is, we, you and I, we did not earn it. It is a gift of grace. Oh yes, God rewards the work of Christ. And see, because we belong to Christ, we may now also share in all his benefits. His reward is our reward. Already in this life, and will be ours forever in the life to come. Truly I say to you, said Jesus, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. See, there's no denying it. The Bible constantly calls our attention to the reward God gives to his children. As a matter of fact, the Father urges us, his children by grace through faith, the Father urges us to seek the heavenly reward. He holds that reward before us in order to draw us and to urge us on. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, said Jesus, and all these things food and clothing and shelter, the things you know to be important for your living in this world. All these things will be added to you, or, and all these things shall be yours as well. So it is clear, the reward is there, and it is sure. And we must seek it. But remember it well. The reward is given as a gift of grace. Not of works, says the Bible. Lest any man should boast. And so I come to the last thought. Not of works, though such good works are necessary. James says it clearly. Faith without works 
is dead. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Oh, the devil. The devil loves to confuse us. He whispers in our ears, What difference does it make then whether you do or do not do good works? After all, he says, After all, all your works, not even your very best works, man, your works cannot make you right with God, right? Then why even bother? Why try to live in obedience when you know beforehand that you are going to fail? Why bother proclaiming the kingdom of the Lord and its righteousness when you know that you can't bring it about in this world anyway? Why don't you simply go ahead and sin? Oh no, not in outrageous ways, to be sure, but, but in the common, everyday sort of things, such as mulling over thoughts that are anything but wholesome, thoughts that are destructive for you. Talking to and about people in a way that betrays there is not born a speaking born of love. Conducting yourself in your work and in the marketplace in such a way that nobody, nobody would ever know that you belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I think that if you give just a little bit of thought to it, you will recognize that we must be aware of the deceptive wiles of the devil. And then we must also recognize that the scriptures speak clearly, precisely to that point. They who are in Christ, it says, may not be careless or profane. They may not be indifferent or wicked when it comes to matters of doing good works. You see, that is why we confess it is impossible. Oh, yes, it is impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. How could they possibly not produce fruits of gratitude? No one, no one having understood the word of Jesus could ever say such a thing. I am the vine, he said, and you, you are the branches. Then Jesus goes on to say, every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. You understand? It is thrown into the fire and is burned. However, every branch that bears, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. People, 
who by true faith have been planted into Christ, such people must bear fruit. There is no way around it for the simple reason that the life of the vine is in the branches. Who could hold back the work of the Holy Spirit? Who could lay restraints upon the love of Christ? Surely those who belong to him will serve him in humble obedience. The question, the ever so serious question that comes to each of us, therefore, is, do we, do you, are there fruits of gratitude in your life? Remember, Jesus himself said it. By their fruit, you will know who are my disciples. Do you hate all that is evil? Do you strive to be a doer of the word in love? See, no one, no one can hide behind a false notion about good works. Remember well the words of Jesus. He said, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of the Father will inherit the kingdom. Without the works of love, without sanctification, without the beginning of a new obedience, our life is at best a vain show. Remember, the grace of the Lord in your life is such that it grafts you into Christ. And then it must follow. The grace of the Lord will drive you to thankfulness. It is impossible for it to be otherwise. And you should not want it to be otherwise. There's no doubt about it. You will praise the Lord if indeed it is true of you that you would not want it otherwise. After all, such must be the fruit of grace in your life. Such is, in fact, the life of every child of God. Praise the Lord. Amen.